Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, winter is here for real yeah, now, isn't it? It's January. It right? is definitely January. This is what you expect, that's right? right. You, A little... You you play yeah. you play golf in thirty degree weather anyway, right? I mean, well, that's true. Yeah, I'll probably slip out back today, and you know, yeah, hit a few balls. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, looking forward to my. Uh, I've got a, a cruise planned in May, which was canceled from last All year. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if it happens this year. But I'm I'm you know, going to channel that inner you know. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely warm weather here. I'm definitely thinking of warm weather vacations now. That is for sure. I I hate cold weather, and so this this week has not been. One of my funnest weeks. But having said that, you know, hey, I mean. It's part of it. Co- yeah. And I cold mean, is relative, too. And we're in, South, we're in the southeast right. here. I mean, in a few weeks, it's going to be totally different. We could be 70 and sunny in yeah. two weeks. But if you talk to someone in International Falls, Minnesota, about 30-degree weather, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's warm. Yeah, like that's nothing. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, only so much about the weather. We got the uh, football playoffs going on, oh, right? Yeah, um, NFL. Yeah, you know, that's fun. That's fun to watch. So we'll see how that whittles down this weekend. We got some. Exciting games that'll uh, kind of start showing what it's going to look like, maybe for the uh, Super Bowl. Super Bowl coming up, yeah. yeah. And I yeah, always yeah. always look forward to the uh, commercials on the. That's one thing I yeah. never uh, fast forward through is the commercials. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Like, I'll go back and watch those on YouTube afterwards. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's just fun. Yeah, fun. they're always really good. See what they can come up with for you know a billion dollars a minute or something. <laughs> Some crazy number. <laughs> crazy number. Yeah, I mean, speaking of which, you know, we got some really good um, topics to talk about today. Um, you know, one of them, John, is, I mean, people are concerned about inflation and the rate hikes that are coming with the Fed. So mm-hmm. we're going to, we got a great article we're going to talk about, about what, really, what can you expect with a rate hike? Yeah. I mean, the rate hikes are coming. What does that mean for the market and for the economy? So we're going to jump into yeah, that. Yeah, that's very timely. And then we're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, estate planning and, and really looking at beneficiaries. And, and you know, Steve, as, as we talk about a lot, um, you know, we see a lot of issues with beneficiaries, um, people not updating them, having yep. the wrong <clears throat> beneficiary, a lot of questions about trust versus wills. And so we're going to dive in yep. to that um, uh, specific area and just talk through that a little bit because it's a big deal and you want to make sure that you have this done correctly. Yeah, and our question of the week touches on that too. And it I does. think that's a great, great question of the week. So you'll want to stick around for that. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 26 years' experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey Certified Counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 29 years. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday morning. Yeah, check it out, uh, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can also download it. In iTunes or uh, whatever app that you're using out there and, and phone. And uh, also check out the website. We do have some really good materials, some videos out there. And uh, we also have a Facebook page um, that we put a prescription of the week out there. Yeah. And all our own show, old shows are on the website. We've been doing this for over 10 years now. Wow. So there yeah. are a lot of shows out there. Um, yeah. A lot of topics we've covered no and doubt. they're listed, listed with topics. Um, so you can pick and choose what you want to hear about from the money doctors. That's right. All right, well, John, well, that leads us up here to our financial fact of the week. Yeah, and this looks at the S&P 500, um, which is, uh, you know, the 500 largest U.S. stocks. And this goes back in 30 years, back to 1992 through 2021. 
And and the average gain, Steve, was was um, over ten and a half percent, ten point six percent per year, was the total return. And so, yeah. if you miss the best yeah. thirty days um, over the last thirty years, that that ten and a half percent return dropped to four and a half percent. So wow. And we have those conversations frequently uh, with clients, particularly during difficult, um, you know, events like the uh, the um, uh, the COVID situation. Yeah. And people want to go to cash, and they want to be more conservative and um, the data just says that is risky and we just don't see it ever working out well. I've never seen a client, I know you haven't either, that has timed the market properly. And you can't do it. It's not feasible. Yeah, it's really not possible. I mean, you're talking about missing the one best day of the year. It's only one day a year you missed for 30 years and it more than cut your return in half. Yep. So it's just that sensitive. You know, you got to be around for those great, you know, one, five, ten days of the year when the market makes almost all of its return. Yes. You know, right. in just a few days and you just don't know when it's gonna happen. You know, it's so it's very unpredictable. So it's a fool's errand to try to time the market. You really have to be invested, diversified, structured for the long term so you can take advantage of those great days. Yeah. When they happen. And the better way to do it is, you know, um, put money in monthly and when the markets are down, you're buying more shares and you know, if you need money from your portfolio, you have some bonds, you can pull it from those during the difficult times. So you got to have a process in place. Um, there are going to be some down, down times in the market. We, we know that from history. And, but in order to get that, that full return, you got to stay invested. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and you, you, everybody thinks they know kind of where the market is and where it might be headed based on how expensive it is. And we look at last year and say, oh, wow, it was a great year. And, um, you know, so so maybe we're headed down this year as a result. Um, but you know, history just shows you can't time that, and it doesn't. It it, it can continue to have great years for a long time. So that ten point six percent for the last thirty years that you mentioned, you know, that includes you know last decade, which was terrific for the S and P five hundred. Decade before, which was terrible for the S and P five hundred. Sure. So it includes good and bad decades, and and you just can't. You can't predict when those are going to start yeah. or stop. Yeah, we had four bear markets during that time frame as well. So exactly, you know, so just stay invested. Don't listen to the news media. Turn turn that off. There you Except go. Except for us. There you go. <laughs> listen to <laughs> us. That's exactly right. And that leads us up here to our first topic here, um, which fits right into this, and that is ready for the rate climb. Um, mm. This is a, a recent article out of Market Watch, and um, John, I mean, the question is, you know, what does history say about stock market returns during a Fed rate height cycle? Um, you know, we all know that rates are climbing across the board recently, you know, as the Fed um, in, has kind of, you know, mentioned that they're going to start tapering very soon, their bond purchase campaign, and they're going to start a rate raising campaign sometime, you know, probably first quarter of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know it's coming, you know, um, and that's all anticipation of of that. And rates have already started going up, you know, the 30 year uh, well, the 10 year Treasury rose um uh a ton just the beginning of this year yep. um and the market really took note of that and um you know some people are nervous about that and um you know they're 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 they seem to be nervous about the fact that we might have a correction you know as a result but history shows you just can't time that but what can you really tell from you know merely 2 weeks into the year what we've seen so far not much, really, in regards to, um, you know, what's going to happen with the Fed rate hike. But one thing that does feel assured, and that is the days of easy money, um, you know, during the pandemic, 
era are is probably over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, benchmark interest rates are headed higher. Um, bond yields are headed higher. And, um, you know, historically we've been, I mean, we've been anchored at historically low numbers now for quite a while, and, and that's probably going to end. Yeah, and it, it seemed as, you know, the Federal Reserve members, they couldn't make the point any clearer this past week um, ahead of the uh, traditional media blackout that prece- precedes the uh, the first policy meeting, um, which is happens to be next, next week on the 25th and 26th of January. Uh, I mean, the large increase in the U.S. consumer price and, and uh, producer price indexes that were released in the past week really have only cemented the, the market's expectations of a more aggressive uh, and hawkish monetary policy from the Fed. And the only real question is is how many interest rate increases um, the uh, the Federal Open Market Committee is going to dole out in 2022. I mean, there's some projections um, of three. We've seen seven. Uh, Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of J.P. Morgan, thinks it's going to be seven this year. Um, you know, so, I mean, no one knows. I, the, the feeling and what's being priced into the market, one of the issues with the, the market the first two weeks is, um, you know, higher interest rates um, is are projected. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, meanwhile, just in anticipation of all that, the 10-year Treasury um, yield went up to 1.77% this past week, um, which means the yield has climbed over a quarter percent in just the first 10 trading days of the calendar year, which would be the the fastest pace that it's risen since 1992, according to uh, the Dow Jones. Um, so, you know, but go back 30 years ago, I mean, the 10-year rose, rose about a third of a percent to around 7% at the start of the year. So, you know, that was... Um, that was a fast pace as, to, as well. You know, so it, it does happen. You start seeing rates go up in anticipation of these Fed moves. But the question is, do, you know, interest rate increases translate into a weaker stock market? As it turns out, you know, I mean, from looking at some of the data, um, the so-called rate hike cycles, which seem to be set to enter into as soon as March of this year, we seem to be set to enter into um, the market actually tends to perform stronger based on the data they're showing here, um, not poorly uh, based on the five past five cycles going back 30 years. In fact, during a, a Fed rate height cycle, the average total return for the Dow Jones is about 55% of these past five cycles. And of the S&P 500, it was 60, about almost 63%. Um, average return over the entire cycle um, during those uh, two-year periods that, mm-hmm. in, in, on average, that it went up, uh, that rates were going up. The Fed interest rate cuts, perhaps unsurprisingly, also yielded strong gains, um, with the Dow up 23% over, over those cycles and 21% on average during the Fed interest rate cut cycles. Yeah, there's all, and you know we're going to mention this later, but there's always other things that are going on during these these cycles that, uh, and people focus on certain things um, uh, sometimes too much. So, but you know, interest rate cuts tend to occur during periods when the economy is weak and it needs stimulating, as opposed to the rate hikes, which are are made when the economy is viewed as too hot by some measure and done to really slow down the economy. And and this may account for the disparity in the stock market performance. Uh, during periods when interest rate reductions occur. I mean, it makes sense that the market would do better when the economy is experiencing strong growth and uh, maybe needs the rate hike to slow it down a little bit to try to control inflation. 
So to be sure, you know, it's harder to see the market doing well during a period when the economy um, experiences high inflation, um, like the 1970s. But right now, it feels unlikely that investors are going to experience any type of um, you know, d- double-digit returns based on the way the stocks are, are shaping up for 2022. So, I mean, there's been a lot of projections. I think we did a, um, a story, a, a, a segment a couple of weeks ago. Right. Some people are project- projecting, you know, positive returns. Some people are projecting negative returns, and, and no one knows. And and you shouldn't make your your investment decisions based on projections, uh, like we talked about in the the financial facts. Stay invested and and uh, diversify and do some rebalancing. That's right. I mean, yeah, because there are there have been some bright spots in the markets out the gates so far this year. Energy sector um, is up by far the most with double-digit gains um, so far this year, despite the overall market being down. And also financials are running a distant second, up over 4% so far this year as of the writing of this, <clears throat> this article last week. And, um, you know, the other nine sectors of the S&P 500 are either flat or lower. Um, but meanwhile, value stocks are making a more pronounced comeback. Um, you know, they're positive for the month. At least they were, again, as of last week. And then growth stocks, though, um, which are the ones that we're really seeing with the S&P 500, are getting hammered so far during this <clears throat> um, this cycle as bonds have begun to rise. Um, you know, and that kind of makes future earnings on these high-earning growth stocks <clears throat> less valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, because what they do is they discount those earnings back to the day, and it makes them less valuable when interest rates are expected to go higher. And higher interest rates also hinder technology's company um, and their ability to buy back stocks. But the truth is, you know, when you look at history <clears throat> um, of rate hikes and rate cuts, there really aren't many data points to consider. I mean, you only have six rate-cutting cycles over the past 30 years, and you only have five rate increasing cycles over the past 30 years. So when you start comparing average returns over these cycles and try to glean some indication about, you know, uh, this increased cycle that we're getting ready to enter, you know, you're really looking for a very statistically insignificant sample in history, (laughs) you know. So and a history, you know, beyond this period is even worse because the Fed had a totally different philosophy prior to the 80s. Um, you know, for instance, when we looked at rate cut cycles over the past 30 years, markets did so poorly in 2007 and 2008 that it vastly colors the average of those six cycles as being much lower than the rate increase cycles. But then likewise, when you look at the five rate increase cycles of that period, the last one from 2009 to 2019, I mean, that's a ridiculously long cycle, and it was ridiculously good as well. So yeah, that just yeah. kind of dominates the average of those cycles, making them look overly good on average. So with five or six data points, you can't make any conclusions. You can't, and you should make you should not make your investing decisions based on the Fed increasing interest rates. It just it's just there's too many other factors out there. But you know, just looking at the data, it is interesting to talk about and and um, kind of highlight. You know, if you remove some of those outliers, then the, the rate cut cycles do look a little bit better than the rate increase cycles. Um, however, the point here is that there is simply not enough data points to make any statistically significant determination about what should happen to the market during you know, this rate increase cycle. And if you go back and take a close look at you know, the, the past rate increase cycles, you'll, you'll find that there were unique 
set of circumstances surrounding each cycle. Um, some were very quick rate increases, and others were long and drawn out, like the most recent ones. So, you know, d- during some of them, like, you know, when the economy was very hot back in the late 90s, um, while, you know, the other economies were doing, were slowly improving. So the economics have something to do with this on the outside. And so there's no doubt that this rate increase cycle will be different from any before that we've seen. Um, you know, inflation is going to be a little different. Um, you know, we've had pandemic uh, with the supply disruption. So there's different factors going into this one as well. Again, um, the takeaway, and you're going you're gonna to cover this, but there's just so many other factors that, are, that occur uh, the data point, six or five data points is not enough to make a make a determination on. Absolutely, that's right. So the bottom line is, you know, no one can give you an exact prediction about, you know, the markets given the Fed tightening and the rate increases that are coming. Sure, I mean, Economics 101 would say that the Fed <clears throat> moving, removing stimulus and raising rates should slow the economy and should be a negative for the stock market. No doubt about that. However, a strong economy as we have almost always is a positive component for for company earnings and their stocks. And also, I mean, some stocks like financials and commodities tend to do really well when interest rates are higher. So there's always winners, there's always losers when it comes to stocks. And certainly, you know, we can say that there's probably going to be some rotation in which parts of the market do better. Um, But beyond that, it's impossible to say exactly how the markets are going to react and do during this rate increase cycle. Having said that, most analysts seem to agree the markets should still be positive overall this year, um, but it's likely going to be more choppy sailing, you know, than we saw last year. So our advice would be to to make sure you're in the correct risk level where you're comfortable riding out any of the storms that we come across, as always, but resist the urge to, to make dramatic moves in an attempt to time it. I mean, most pullbacks are met with quick recoveries, um, and you don't want to get caught on the wrong side of trying to time those gyrations. So stay invested, but well-diversified, invested for your long-term goals. I mean, that's your pres- our prescription for this period of the market. Yeah, and I think that, you know, gosh, looking back during the pandemic about how, um, you know, companies adjust to what's in front of them, right, with, with um, supply chains and I mean, there's been so many processes that have changed over the last two years, and interest rates are higher. Um, companies will figure it out. I mean, they're they will. they're there to make profits, and and they will uh, do alternate financing. And so, yeah, so there's always there's always ways to uh, get around the the storm that's in front of you, and that's what we've seen historically. Yeah, absolutely. All right, great topic, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, we get this a lot. Have a lot of conversations about um, should I do a trust? or just have a will. And I will say that, gosh, for most people, a will is, is plenty. You, you know, you have the ability yep. to, to direct money going to different people and items and so forth. The reason to do a trust is to control the money. It really is the primary reason. It also skips probate, but probate cost is not significant. I mean, we, a million dollar um, probate um, assets in South Carolina was about a thousand dollar cost um, is what I've seen in the past. Yeah, but you know, a trust costs three to five thousand dollars to create. So there's cost in in building a trust and having that. But if you want to control the money, if you have a special needs child, maybe you have children or grandchildren that you don't want to have access to the money until they're twenty five or thirty, then you can put it in a trust. Um, but we recommend you know wills and beneficiaries are very powerful. Yeah, they are. And yeah, I mean, I just had this conversation with some clients yesterday evening about 
you know, wills versus a trust. It is a very important question. But yeah, I mean, I'd keep it simple if you can, you know, I mean, there's certainly a place for having the trust and, and they can do some things that you can't do with the will, like control when the assets are distributed yep. over time. You know, if that's what you want to do, um, don't want to give it all to your kids, you know, or your grandkids all at once. Um, then a trust certainly can do that. Um, but it's not going to save in taxes. Typically, um, there's very few people have any estate tax issues right. today. The, right. the limits, you know, over $20 million for a married couple, um, <clears throat> for the exemption. So, uh, so the real question is, do you want it to go through probate or not? And there's so many ways to avoid probate just by naming beneficiaries. A trust doesn't help you in that regard. Right. Um, so, uh, so for most people, trust doesn't make a lot of sense, but, um, in you some know, cases but it's does. something yeah. to look at. Yeah. It's just something you have to consider all the pros and cons and, uh, but it's always better to keep it simple if you can. Mm -hmm. So great question of the week. And, uh, and that dovetails right in with our next topic. It, and that is reasons not to name your state as an IRA beneficiary. Yeah, we, we see this occasionally. And, um, you know, this is something to, to certainly be aware of and, and, and this, Hopefully this um, segment and the question of the week will get you to go back and look at your beneficiaries because we do see beneficiaries do need to be revisited, you know, different um, family dynamics and, and situations. Um, you know, it, it just needs to be almost an annual review for yourself. But the question is, and this comes from uh, Rogers and Associates, um, should you name your estate as your IRA beneficiary? And, and there's four reasons not to name your estate as, as an IRA beneficiary, and we'll go through them. And you know, many people, Steve, you know, assume that naming heirs in their will is sufficient and that there is no need to duplicate those beneficiaries in their IRAs or in their company retirement plans. And this is far from true. I mean, be, be sure to designate primary and contingent beneficiaries for all your retirement accounts and um, your, your savings accounts as well, um, using the proper paperwork provided by, you know, the, the custodian or the plan administrator. So beneficiaries can certainly mirror your will if that's your intent. Um, but there's several, several compelling reasons to make sure you name beneficiaries in your IRA and not making your estate the beneficiary. So we'll go through the four here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the number one reason really is probate expenses. Um, yeah, keeping things out of probate will lower the expenses because there is some expense involved. Depends on what state you're in as to how high that is. But an IRA payable to your estate causes the IRA to be included in the assets that are going to be distributed by your will and it subjects those to probate. And since the cost of probating a will <clears throat> um, and the associated executor with that, attorney fees, everything involved, usually as a percent of the estate value, that will create some additional unnecessary expenses. I think in South Carolina and Georgia, it's like a quarter of 1% <clears throat> is the fee for going through probate. So it's not a lot here locally, but still you want to avoid that. Um, and it's certainly going to delay the distribution of those assets as well. So you don't want to leave it to your estate if at all possible. Um, you want to leave your, your, your IRA directly to your kids and avoid the unnecessary expense <clears throat> that you can have. Plus, it's public record, too. So you know, yeah. there's no privacy when it comes to going through probate. Yeah, um, so probate expenses is one reason not to name your estate as an uh, IRA beneficiary. Another one is... You know, there's some issues uh, with distributing the IRA. So the SECURE Act, which was passed back in December of 2019, created three different categories of beneficiaries. There's 
an eligible designated beneficiary, um, there's a designated beneficiary, and then there's something called non-designated beneficiaries, and it, it has also modified the way IRAs are handled uh, after someone passes away um, if your IRA is payable to your estate, which is also known as a non-designated beneficiary. That IRA has to be distributed within five years if you die before your um, your uh, R, uh, RBD, which is um, your required minimum distribution date, basically at age 72. So you're going to have to make distributions in five years versus if you left your spouse on there, um, that's their lifetime, or if you left your kids, it's over 10 years. 10 so years. it's basically going to increase your tax bill is what it boils down to because yeah. you're going to have to get that money out of the IRA quicker than what you would have um, beforehand. So if you have a million dollar IRA, you know, you're going to have to do $200,000 a year um, or get it all yeah. out within five years. So it's, in, it's likely going to increase your tax bill. So yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. And speaking of taxes, you know, uh, even bigger reason is the income taxes. Um, if you leave it to to your estate <clears throat> directly um, and it's distributed from the IRA while it's held in the estate, then not only does it have to be distributed quickly, as you mentioned, John, um, but it's also going to be taxed at a very unfavorable compressed estate tax brackets. Mm -hmm. Because for an estate, the top bracket, the 37% bracket, um, that applies to income over only $13,000, roughly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, in contrast, for an individual, the top bracket only applies to income over about a half a million dollars. And for a married couple, it's income over about $600,000. So, you know, if you get all that, if you leave it to your state and it's a decent size IRA, almost all of it's going to be taxed at the top tax bracket. That's brutal. Mm -hmm. And that would be a disaster. So you don't want that to happen. Yeah. Tens of thousands of dollars, mm -hmm. potentially, depends on how big the IRA is. But um, yeah, that, that's a big deal, saving on taxes. Um, and, and the fourth one here is, you know, just, you know, greater growth potential. An IRA left to a spouse um, can be rolled directly into the spouse's own IRA, extending the, the tax-deferred or tax-free growth with no distributions required until the spouse reaches 72. Uh, an IRA left to a spouse uh, also has creditor protection. Um, IRAs left to other eligible designated beneficiaries um, can take that balance over their, their life expectancy, and an eligible designated beneficiary is um, the owner's spouse, the uh, uh, owner's minor children, disabled individual, um, those that are no, uh, not more than 10 years younger than the deceased in certain trusts. So uh, an IRA left to a designated beneficiary can be rolled into what's called an inherited IRA, um, which has to be withdrawn fully within 10 years. So, uh, you know, again, this the takeaway on this is, is don't put your estate as the beneficiary on your IRA account. Uh, make sure it's individuals, spouse, kids, grandkids, um, the beneficiary, um, you know, we, we unfortunately have that process here frequently when someone passes away and there's a beneficiary on there, they bring a death certificate into us and then we're right. able to take those assets and create a new account. And then they are able to do what they want to with those accounts. But uh, when you when you get it into the estate, um, it just muddles up everything. It's going to increase taxes. It's not a, an, an efficient way to handle beneficiaries. Yeah, and it gets a lot more complicated. <clears throat> um, so much simpler if you just leave beneficiaries. Then it's it's very simple to 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 process it, to get it distributed to those beneficiaries without involving probate and yep. estate. So, um, all right, great topic. And that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. 
Yeah, and this has to do with uh, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course. It's seven weeks. Um, it's uh, it's life changing. If you've never gone through that, um, we highly recommend that you do that. You and your 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 spouse or your significant right. other. Uh, if, if you're single, it's great, great resources. Um, maybe your kids need to go through it, grandkids. Um, but if you go on a Dave, Dave's website, um, there are literally, I went on there this morning, there are hundreds of online courses every day of the week, mm. all different times. Yep. And so you may be out with somebody in you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, um, going through this online course. But That'd you're be in a, neat. Yeah, yeah, you're in a community um, talking about and helping each other out. Um, there's also eight local courses uh, in the CSRA starting in January. And if you go back out there in February, there'll be some more that start. We're actually going to do one at Cedar Creek Church in, in March as well. So the financial peace class is highly recommended. Um, you know, we, we do see it as a as a uh, relationship class as well. It does help couples as they go through it. They have similar yeah. terminology. So consider doing something like that starting out this new year. Yeah, I think it's a key, you know, for a married couple. really gets you on the same page. And we consistently see that people that go through the Financial Peace University class, they tend to come out with a totally different attitude about money. Yes. You know, um, they really get start to see the big picture of what is money for, you know, and and why am I in debt or whatever the issues are financially. And, you know, and they just have this attitude about, you know, they're going to get it working for them, you know, and, and empowering them rather than hindering them, you know, going forward. So it's a great way to get on the same page with your spouse and really get grounded in, um, you know, what your what your true purpose for money is and, you know, what you want to accomplish with it. So, um, yeah, we highly recommend it. I think that's a great prescription of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Um, Send us your questions. You can link to us there, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.